the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Derek Bukema, pastor of Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, and I'm so glad that you've joined us today for Grounded and Growing in Christ here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Each weekday at this time, we open God's Word, exploring how it changes us and brings us closer to Him. Right now, we are in a message series called We Believe, focusing on the Gospel of John. All through this Gospel, John is driving us toward belief and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. We hope and pray that as a result of this series, you will see new faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. To hear all of the messages in this series, please visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. And if you'd like to help provide financial support for this radio ministry, you can make a gift of any size at that same website, groundedandgrowingradio.com. If you're not already a part of a local church family, then I would like to invite you to visit us at Orland Park CRC this Sunday as we gather to worship the Lord and study His Word together. To find our service times and location information, just visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. And now, let's open God's Word to see what He has for us today. Would you turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 11? John chapter 11, I'm going to start reading at verse 45. I'm going to read through John chapter 12, verse 11. Let's remember as we hear this that this is God's word. And here's how my Bible reads. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all. Nor do you understand that it's better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. And not for the nation only, but also to gather into the one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. Jesus, therefore, no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there to the region near the wilderness to a town called Ephraim, and there he stayed with the disciples. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and many went up from the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. They were looking for Jesus and saying to one another as they stood in the temple, what do you think, that he'll not come to the feast at all? Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should let them know so they might arrest him. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. 
So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But, Jesus, but Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this, not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you will always have with you, but you do not always have me. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him... Many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. One of the things that surprises me about this world in which we live is that so many people who care nothing for Christianity seem to have a great deal of appreciation for Jesus or even claim to love Jesus. That's not the way that it works in the Bible. We're not introduced to a group of people that like Jesus, but are like, meh, following him, no thanks. But I like him a lot. The one point in the Gospel of John where we get close to that is when people experience the miracles of the Lord Jesus and eat the food that he gives them, and then they follow him, they surround him because they want more of those miracles. But when they actually encounter Jesus and some of his hard teachings, they leave because that's too much for them. What we experience here is that when people have a genuine encounter with Jesus, when they genuinely meet him, they either worship him, sometimes lavishly, extravagantly, or they oppose him. They try to kill him. We can see that in the text this morning. There's no middle ground here. There are those that decide they are going to go all in on opposing Jesus. And there are those who decide they are going to go all in in worshiping Jesus. We can see the opposition of the leadership of the people of Israel to the work and ministry and divinity of the Lord Jesus. We see that even as they oppose him, they cannot help but do the will of God. And we see two potential responses, one of lavish generosity, one of hardened opposition. So here are the three points for us this morning. The first is recognition and rejection. The second is unexpected truth. And the last one is two ways to respond, two ways that we might respond to this. So let's start with recognition and rejection. The Pharisees are told that Jesus has raised Lazarus from the dead, and they gather the chief priests and gather the council, which is called the Sanhedrin. It was a 70-member body dominated by the chief priests. They were almost all Sadducees on this council. The Pharisees were an influential minority group within the the Sanhedrin, and, and the rest was made up of either elders or sort of the landed aristocrats. Those were the ones that made up the 
Sanhedrin. It was a religious governing council, but they also got to set the policy for the people of Israel. They were given authority by Rome to be able to sort of execute the day-to-day operations of the people of Israel. And so within the context of the people of Israel, the authority of, of Rome, this was the highest governing council that existed. These were the people who had the most power. Those were the ones who had the most influence and authority. And it was an interesting mix of both religious authority and political authority that came together in the Sanhedrin. And so they come together to hear about this message. And when I read this section of scripture, I expect them to respond with, oh, Lazarus has been raised from the dead by Jesus. That's impossible. Or no, he didn't. Or you must have misseen. You must have misheard. My expectation is that these who have been opposing Jesus throughout all of his ministry would oppose this account of Jesus raising someone from the dead. But that is not the way they respond. Their response is instead, shoot. Oh no. Oh dear. Jesus raised someone from the dead. This is not good for us. This really threatens us. They recognize that if they don't prevent him from continuing his ministry, there will be an ever larger group of people who follow him. After all, this man can raise the dead. The Sanhedrin can't do that. This is what's surprising. They hear the account that Lazarus has been raised from the dead. They don't disagree with it. They acknowledge that he did it. They acknowledge that he's able to raise the dead. And their response is, oh no, we haven't been opposing him hard enough. There are some people who will see Jesus and recognize that he is the only one who's able to do what he does. Deliver from death and then oppose him. Let me say that again. There are some people who will see Jesus and recognize that it is only he who is able to save from death and oppose him. This is a heartbreaking reality. Not that people see and misunderstand who Jesus is and therefore walk away, but people see and recognize who he is. And because of that recognition, they walk away. That's the heartbreaking reality in John chapter 11 for us today. This is a perfect place for the leaders of the people of Israel to repent. This is a perfect place for the Sanhedrin to repent of the opposition that they have been offering to the Lord Jesus all throughout the Gospel of John. They knew that their great enemy was death. They knew the scriptures. They knew it very, very well. So they were able to recognize that death had come into the world with the sin of their father and our father, Adam. They recognized that because of sin, we die. And we need a solution to that death. And here was the one who with a word was able to reverse that curse of death. The best response. The only response that makes sense is for them to say, listen, we have been opposing this guy because we thought that he was breaking Sabbath restrictions and regulations. He's able to save from death. Who other than God can make the dead come alive? I think it's time for us to start listening to this one. 
You've been listening to today's message from Pastor Derek Bukema. To learn more about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, listen to past programs, and to give a gift to support our work preaching the Bible on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, visit us today at groundedandgrowingradio.com. And while you're there, please sign up to download your free copy of the ebook Answering Seven Hard Questions That Christians Ask. Again, that's groundedandgrowingradio.com. And now, more from Pastor Derek in our series called We Believe, focusing on the Gospel of John. We pray that as a result of this series, you will see new faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. If we're honest, you and I can probably understand this temptation. Perhaps they value the prestige that comes with a spot on the governing council of the people of Israel. Maybe they like the comfort that comes from being in the aristocracy of having enough and therefore not needing to be concerned about where their next meal is coming from. Maybe they like being close to the halls of power or possessing the monetary benefit that comes with power. Or maybe it's even more subtle than that. Maybe they're institutionalists that don't want the institution of Israel to come apart. Maybe they are convinced that what they are doing is good and necessary. And if they have their place taken away, they won't be able to do good things for the people of Israel any longer. All of these are extremely potent temptations. Temptations that I think we should not look down on the Sanhedrin for because you and I are susceptible to them as well. And as we see the response of the Sanhedrin, we should be aware of just how potent these temptations are for us when we encounter them. Power, comfort, preservation of institutions, motives to do good. These are not bad desires in and of themselves. They are simply evil when they move us away from God, away from Jesus. It's not a bad thing to have power or authority. It's not a bad thing to have comfort. And in fact, as Reformed Christians, one of the things that we seek is comfort and joy that comes from knowing we've been redeemed. It's not bad. It's a good thing to preserve institutions. It is a good desire to want to do good. But if any of these lead us to stop following Jesus, they become very bad. They become evil things. And the stakes are sometimes high. D.A. Carson tells a story about this along these lines. He was editing a book on the authority and the inspiration of Scripture. And he asked a young up-and-coming scholar to contribute to the book, someone with a sharp mind. And this young scholar said, I'm with you on this. I agree with you entirely. And I also think it's of fundamental importance for Christians to believe in the authority and inspiration of God's word. But you need to understand, my whole career has been directed towards trying to get a position at at Oxbridge, that's either Oxford or Cambridge. And he said, if I'm able to get a position at Oxbridge, I will have the sort of power and influence and respect, academic respect, so then I can start teaching along these lines. But if I were to contribute to your volume now, I would probably never get to to have a position at Oxbridge and so my own influence will be diminished and that means that that my potential to do good for the church will be harmed and Carson said yeah but if you don't own that publicly you'll lose it you'll lose it and Carson was right And this man moved away from orthodox theological commitments even as he got that position that he hoped for at Oxbridge. 
the temptation to wait and not speak so that you might do some good with position is a potent one. Here's another one for you. At the time that, that John Calvin was doing his work, the opposition to the Reformed was especially intense in France. Calvin started a school of ministry as a part of the work that he was doing in Geneva so that he might train up missionaries to pastor churches in Geneva, but also to go and to spread the gospel in other places, specifically France, where the opposition to reformational Christianity was the most intense. It's said that at the time that Calvin was teaching these men to go and and be missionaries, those that would receive their diploma would joke darkly that they were receiving their death certificate because so many of them would go into France to preach the gospel and be killed for it. There's some crazy stories about how people who were preaching the gospel would be taken to Paris and would be uh, set on fire for preaching the gospel. And so they would sing the psalms. And people would be converted just hearing the psalms sung, like Psalm 103, which we sang today. And so those who would imprison, those who had gone out to preach the gospel, they would cut off the tongues of those who had been imprisoned so that they could not sing the psalms. It was a dark time in Europe. I mean, bloody wars of religion and opposition of those who were sharing the gospel. But there was some hope in France. Henry IV was a Huguenot. Maybe you've heard of the Huguenots. They were the French that were reformed. My mom, as I was growing up, always wore a Huguenot cross. In part because those that were reformed were able to find safe haven in the Netherlands. And so there's some historical connection to my mom's family. There's some hope because Henry IV took the throne and he was a Huguenot. He was a reformed Christian and the hope and the cry of the people in France was that he would end the bloody persecution of those who were sharing the gospel in France. And there was a great deal of hope because Henry IV, he was reformed. He was a Huguenot and they were certain that he was going to allow for religious toleration and tolerance. And there was great rejoicing when he took the throne. And yet, on July 25... 1593, at a public ceremony at the Basilica of St. Denis in Paris, he told a friend, according to tradition, Paris is worth a mass. And he left reformational Christianity and continued the bloody persecution of the reformed. It bought him a few years until in 1610 he was assassinated for not being Catholic enough. By one zealot. But coming into the position where he was able to end religious persecution, he thought, hey, preserving Paris is more important than ending these terrible deaths. The world is filled with stories of those who left Christianity once they became famous, or once they became powerful, or once they had authority. The kings of Judah and Israel often followed the Lord God when they were young and weak, but when they became powerful or wealthy, they turned to idols. 
And we're frankly no different. Just a few weeks ago, I was speaking with someone who said that it becomes extremely difficult to follow God when it means that the institution that you lead might have to shut down. He said, we do such good work. We may just need to give in in certain places so that the institution may be maintained and our good work continue. All of these are various aspects of the temptation that the Sanhedrin experiences and Jesus himself faced this very temptation. The devil offered him all of the kingdoms of the world if he would just bow down and worship the devil. But Jesus resisted the temptation that the Pharisees and the Sadducees could not resist. And the temptation that you and I so often cannot resist if we're put in those sorts of places, Jesus said, no. No. Worship God alone. But the reality here is that oftentimes... People don't leave Christianity because of Jesus, but because of some other temptation that leads them to see Jesus and not want to follow him because it means giving up something that's good, authority or influence or institution or the good work that's being done. And so in all this, I think that Tim Keller is helpful here. He was writing recently about how he responds when people are are walking away. And he said that when somebody is in that position, they say that they were a Christian, but they've walked away. He says, the question I ask them is, why is it that you used to believe that Jesus rose from the dead? And what caused you to change your mind? Now, that is a helpful question. Because it focuses precisely on the reality that we need to remember. That Jesus, the risen one, is the only one who is able to save from death. But the Pharisees see that and they try to put him to death. And they try to excuse the murder that they are plotting. And by coming up with an excuse, they unintentionally tell the truth. Take a look again with me in your Bibles because the high priest, Caiaphas, says this. One of them, Caiaphas says, verse 49, who was high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. The high priest says a word that's intended to just placate the consciences of the Sanhedrin. Hey, yeah, we're plotting to murder this guy, but really it's, it's better. You guys need to know that it's better that we put Jesus to death than that we lose the whole nation. I mean, this was a self-serving thing for him to say. But what we're told is he didn't actually say this of his own accord. God is so sovereign that even this one who is plotting harm to the Lord Jesus, God is using to speak something that's true. And God hears the words of the chief priest and he says, yeah, you're right. You just don't mean what you think you mean. You're right, but you just don't mean what you think you mean. 
you want to preserve your place in the Sanhedrin and and, and ethnic Israel. But God says, it's better that Jesus should die so that all who call on his name might be saved. So that a new people of God might be formed, those that are characterized not by an ethnic identity or a set of practices, but characterized by a humble trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. God hears the self-serving words of the high priest and says, I'll take that one. Yeah, it's better that one should die than that all should perish. And so unintentionally, the high priest speaks a word that should be of great comfort and reminds us that Jesus died the death that we deserved. That Jesus bore the wrath of the Father so that we need not carry it. That Jesus died to destroy death and rose to give you life. That Jesus shed his blood to purify you of all of your sins And that was better than that you would die in your trespasses and sins. But don't miss how John chapter 11 lays out for us how sovereign God is. C.S. Lewis puts it this way. He talks about God's sovereignty in this way. He says, Satan is without doubt nothing else than a hammer in the hands of a benevolent and severe God. For all, either willingly or unwillingly, do the will of God. Judas and Satan as tools or instruments. John and Peter as sons. Ultimately, you can't go against God's plan and his design. Even if you're staking out your position against Jesus, even if you're the high priest. You've been listening to today's message from Pastor Derek Bukema. To learn more about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, listen to past programs, and to give a gift to support our work preaching the Bible on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, Visit us today at groundedandgrowingradio.com. And while you're there, please sign up to download your free copy of the ebook, Answering Seven Hard Questions That Christians Ask. Again, that's groundedandgrowingradio.com. This is Pastor Derek Bukema, and on behalf of Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, we want to thank you for your support and partnership in proclaiming the gospel here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. If you're looking for a local church to call home, Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday. You can find all the details online at groundedandgrowingradio.com. Thanks again for joining us, and until next time, may God bless you. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.